Hi, everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series, uh, and I'm joined by colleagues Tony D'Ofrio and Tom Meehan, our producer Diego Rodriguez, Wilson Gabarino, and all of you, and we're very excited to work with you. Here we are. It's 2023. I hope everybody had a wonderful, safe uh, holiday season and uh, got some recharge, uh, family and other opportunities, uh, and especially relaxation as well, as well as uh, refocus and and maybe greater alignment. So um, we want to welcome you to Crime Science here, uh, produced by the LPRC. And uh, we got a lot of things going on in 2023 to build on 2022. And uh, our team had our first team meeting of the year yesterday in our ideation lab uh, in the hub uh, at Innovate Square on University of Florida campus. And uh, we went through a little bit about where, you know, what we're focused on, where we're headed, how do we build though on, and how do we manage and continue to build on uh, success, if you will, in that the LPRC retailer membership uh, literally in the second quarter, excuse me, in the second half of the year uh, exploded. We've added numerous retailers, double digit. We've also added numerous solution partner members uh, in critical need areas. Uh, sensors, as you all know, we're going to talk a little bit about it, but are uh, very, very critical to everything that we do. We just have, we have to know, we need to know earlier what individuals and crews are thinking and doing uh, as they plan and move toward harming us and our people, our places. So uh, we've got to have sensors of all types, as you all know, and that's where we've been adding key members. We need to, though, with the information, the visual, the oral, you know, in other words, the the oral type uh, evidence, as well as digital signals and signatures that are produced that we need to know about uh, they need to be processed, analyzed. They need to be recognized. Uh, we need to generate alerts to the right people, dis- disseminate the right information. So analysis tools would be another part. And the connections between the two uh, would be the third part. So the technologies that we're working on are those that would sense uh, individuals and their harmful planning and execution uh, signals and signatures the ind- from those individuals, uh, the connections from that to uh, our different analytical tools that we might have, uh, models that would recognize verbal, uh, would recognize physical behavior, uh, features of threatening individuals, of humans, of vehicles, and of our stuff. You know, the tools, weapons, crowbars, uh, magnets, cutting out instruments, uh, garbage bags, whatever it might be. Uh, those are things that are important to us. The vehicles that we drive, also the features, uh, both the color make, or the color of the make, the model, damage, customization, noises that they make, uh, the digital emissions from their sensors, and some of the technologies in, in newer vehicles. So all of this are so, so the solution partner members that we're adding to fill in gaps and create opportunities to build world-class integrations that uh, you all, that our members need to make a big difference. So with that comes uh, our team continuing to grow in capability and in size. And and so that our researchers uh, are more and more capable of 
understanding what needs to be researched, understanding context and how offenders think and how we influence that thinking, how they emit these signals and signatures, uh, but then how to turn that information into real world projects that result in uh, great outcomes for you all, for the practitioners and others um, to create much safer, more secure places and people. So that's that's a big push for us uh, in the number the quality, the capability of our researchers, our research team members. Uh, and so we've, we've really literally doubled our research team size in just over 12 months. Um, and there may be a little more growth in 2023 to come. Uh, our operations team also has doubled in, in size and in capability as well so that we can uh, do things the right way, always, always uh, have great events uh, great webinars and in-person physical summits, you know, our Ignite slash Integrate coming up here, our kickoff uh, meeting in New York City, uh, and uh, obviously the uh, impact in the first week in October. So um, a lot going on around here at LPRC and a lot to talk about. I thought what I'd do is uh, today also touch a little bit on how we're looking at every scenario that we're putting together, every theft, every fraud, every violent scenario, or those that are mixed, that are hybrids of those, uh, whether in person or online, uh, whether it's the supply chain, uh, office environments, parking lot environments, uh, or of course, store environments. Uh, these are all important for us to work on. Uh, and so we put together these crime scripts, How and we've talked about this several times on this Crime Science Podcast, um, what crime scripting is and how we use it. It's basically what the offender uh, goes through to be successful in their mind, uh, to successfully harm or victimize a place or a person. So that's the crime script. Um, so we look at how an individual conceives uh, of a particular crime, uh, or it may be being exposed to others that talk about it, brag about it uh, on media, uh, social media, and so forth. Um, we talk about the, they might develop a motive. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this thing because I want this or I want to hurt somebody or I want to threaten or uh, otherwise victimize. So there's some motive development and there's an opportunity, again, to know about some of these uh, crime concept exposures. They might be red flags for a potential active shooter or killer um, of some sort of a thief um, that works at that place or uh, doesn't, but is visiting or planning on coming there uh, or a crew themselves that are communicating with each other. Um, these are opportunities to pick up on. Uh, they might neutralize their guilt, you know, rationalize their act, this individual or this crew. Um, hey, they don't, they deserve it. Um, they've, they've hurt other people. Um, hey, I give and give, it's time for me to take. Uh, they owe me you know, you hear these what we call guilt neutralizations or rationalizations for people harming another person um, in some way, shape or form. Uh, there's maybe some real specific uh, event uh, attempt ideation. They might think about it. They might practice. They might dry run. They might just do things uh, that are part of what they're going to do in the future, uh, whether they follow through or not. We've talked about before, most people desist or uh, just uh, the thoughts deteriorate um, and just go away. They don't think about it anymore or they think something better of themselves or realize uh, that's really not worth it. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble. That's wrong and so on. 
but but many continue on and, and they might start now some actual planning opportunities again for uh, for potentially for the practitioner to learn, hey, this this individual or this group, they're planning, they're acquiring tools, they're looking at routes, they're looking for vulnerable entry points, they're looking for places overall that might have the most potential victims. Uh, again, whether it's an active shooter, uh, whether it's a thief, uh, a fraudster, uh, or otherwise. So there's that kind of uh, actual planning that might go on. Um, getting buddies, getting equipment, getting tools, trying to acquire passwords. Again, we're always thinking of insider threat, somebody that works there or used to work there or knows somebody uh, within that organization. So there's that collusion that's happening or an outsider threat. Or again, with collusion, a hybrid. Um, trying to understand that, that planning purpose. They might start searching for targets or better targets. Uh, again, a place, a person, or something inside of a place. Uh, so what type of merchandise? Who's got the most of what I want? Who's got the most of what I want that's the most vulnerable to me? It's not as well protected. Who's got the most of what I want and is the most vulnerable and it's closest or most convenient or the place I can get off at a bus stop or a mass transit stop or get a friend to take me to or, uh, or whatever we're looking at right now. So that's some of the, the planning and the search it takes on. Uh, may, they may adjust their targets or terminate one target and then later look for something better, more fruitful, more convenient, less risky for them, more vulnerable to their attack, uh, to that event, that type of thing. Um, there may be some pre-strike communications going on as they, they move and they talk with people uh, to acquire the tools, to acquire information, uh, to see, understand vulnerable targets better, uh, or to maybe rule out potential crime targets and things like that. So that communication, again, online, in person, but particularly online in different platforms, in Reddits and RattleMe and um, just the different platforms that are out there. You see it uh, um, across multiple areas, Telegram, um, obviously texting. There are There is some communication on Facebook. Um, and Snapchat, Instagram, you know, you'll see, of course, listings in Craigslist and things that we know uh, where they're posting information, uh, recruiting things, looking for items where people are, of course, trying to convert stolen goods to cash. That's how some of them are meeting up and so on. So, so that communications is all important, all critical way before an event, uh, during an event and after an event, right? Left of bang, at bang and right of bang. So we want to pay attention to that, have sensors out there online and abilities to collect that information uh, and make sense of it. And most importantly, to prepare and protect uh, our people and our places. Um, they may have to convince or give in to others to get what they want or need. There could be some of those negotiations, bargaining uh, that they have to do. Um, they're now going to have to move uh, to the place. There's going to be some transit, some movement, whether it's on foot or on a bike bicycle, motorcycle, mass transit, uh, obviously a vehicle. Um, there's going to be some movement uh, of them. They're going to have to coordinate that. They're going to have to execute that. Uh, there may be some opportunity to pick up on that uh, and so on. So what what places do we have along mass transit stops? What are the places the most proximate, easiest to get to and from uh, and so on a mass transit or other uh, places to park or hide quick uh, exit routes and so on? These are some of the things that they're thinking about. How do I get in? But how do I get out and get away? How do I get away 
uh, what's the way to survive, what's the way to get the most I want, but what's the best way for me to get away and not get caught. Um, those are important to them. We look at, you know, also uh, some of the approach that they're making. How are they coming toward us? Are they masked up or not? Um, do they approach from out of the dark or maybe with the sun or a light behind them so you can't recognize them on the camera? <clears throat> so there could be things they're doing to disguise, to um, disorientate others, uh, to blend in. Are they using disguises? Uh, things like that. We understand that um, in the tops uh, active shooter situation in upstate New York, there may have been some disguise made uh, pre-attack visits. These were uh, pre-event indicators or pre-incident indicators, um, the, the type of thing that we're picking up on. So would people or cameras or other sensors pick up on things that, hmm, that's interesting or that doesn't, that stands out or that's not normal or that person keeps doing that, which is not normal uh, and so on. So we're always looking at those things. Uh, they're having to discount uh, or the confront and overcome countermeasures. You know, okay, I see that there's a camera or somebody that's alert or there's this or that. Uh, that's okay. That's They don't see me. They're not going to do what they, they're not going to execute the right way. Um, I can overcome that. I can defeat that. So there are a lot of those things that happen. There's a lot of that type of um, activity that goes on, at least in their brain, uh, where they execute it on it or not. Um, now they have to actually launch or initiate their attack do they now uh, progress? Do they keep going in the in light of countermeasures or resistance uh, or things that didn't turn out to be the way they wanted? So these are all opportunities to pick up on this information and, again, to influence their behavior, influence their choices, their decisions that they make. Um, there's the actual attack, uh, whether it's taking something, defrauding, you know, social engineering, for example, uh, something at the point of sale. Uh, concealment, a package attack, or some sort of intimidation or actual physical attack, of course. Is there escalation? Do they continue to escalate? Uh, does Is there some resistance? Is there victim escalation, which is probably, to me, an unfortunate term, but the idea is that an offender escalates uh, physically and otherwise uh, because they perceive, or uh, in fact it is, the fact that the victim is resisting this attack, resisting this crime event, this attempt to harm them or victimize them or others. So there can be that counter uh, escalation, even if the victim is actually not reaching to press a button or call for help or pull a weapon, uh, but the offender might perceive that's the case. So those are things to look at, to understand, uh, to guard against. Uh, let's say they've now made their attempt, they've escalated or otherwise, uh, do, now they've got to retreat um, they've got to get out of there. That's an opportunity to maybe do something. In this case, um, obviously make apprehensions, determine which way they're going without putting ourselves in harm's way or our people. Um, looking at what exit escape routes. So a lot of retailers and others will, uh, as part of their audits and understanding about the risks that their places are exposed to, given, uh, you know, let's say uh, comparatively to other places. Um, but what's the vulnerability? How vulnerable are they? How well are protected are they? Not just how much risk are they exposed to, how many potential offenders and how often, how severe, but how well are they set up to maybe deter people, disrupt them, document them, 
or, or make it just harder, riskier, less rewarding for the criminal. Um, so that vulnerability assessment. But part of that is uh, escape routes. How would an offender go? Come to and hide, escape from uh, on foot, on bicycle, mass transit vehicle, whatever it might be. So before things happen, understanding, having cameras in the right place, having schema schematics drawn up, having you know barriers placed in those areas so that vehicles can't maybe go in a certain area or go as fast in an area that they can't jump over a fence or run down an alley or get away quickly, um, making that more difficult. That that may help prevent the incident in the first place, or at least uh, maybe enable quicker apprehension of the offenders uh, and so on once it's happened right of bang or right of contact after the event, post-event. So looking at those types of things, they've got to get away. Uh, they may have next steps that they're going to go through to convert stolen goods to cash, all aiming points for sensors and action tools like we've talked about. There may be now... Uh, them thinking about and ideating a new strike, a new attempt. So uh, what's victim one? That's the place that got hit. What's victim two? What's the potential next victim? That, they're probably not done. Are they either going to return there or to place like that? We call repeats and near repeats, near misses and so forth, and looking at the geospatial layout of crime. So these are some of the things just to think about, uh, to talk about. Uh, to work on that our team's working on with the newer uh, and greater enhanced team that we've got to serve the needs of our uh, growing membership, just about 200 corporations working together to reduce theft, fraud, and violence. So I want to, with no further ado, uh, turn it over to Tony and, uh, and then to Tom to talk a little bit about what they're up to, what they're hearing, uh, and some useful ideas they've got for all of us to better protect and safeguard uh, ourselves, our places, our people, our possessions. Um, so with no further ado, Tony, let's turn it over to you. Thank you, Reed, for those great updates. Uh, first of all, Happy New Year to everyone. And I'm looking forward to another great year for the Loss Prevention Research Council. This week, I want to focus on an article that I published, uh, and it's titled the 2023 Top 5 Strategies and top three retail technologies for retail success. And it's really a cornerstone of a presentation that I've been updating and delivering around the world for years on the disruptive future of retail. The five strategies for success into 2023 and beyond are number one, harmonized retail channel. HubSpot uh, recently published some consumer research that found Gen Zers start by doing a lot of research online, and these are Gen Zers, younger consumers, 18 to 24. They search most often on social media, followed by YouTube ads, music streaming services, and internet searches. However, the majority of consumers, and the number is high, 73%, still prefer to shop in physical stores, and 55% of Gen Zers prefer to do the same. So, Really, you must take care of harmonizing all channels to get to the success formula in 23. The number two strategy, frictionless commerce. The growth of frictionless uh, stores is expected to have a compounded annual growth rate of 91% and may reach uh, $400 billion by 2025. In my view, the train to frictionless commerce has left the station and the future of stores will be more automated. Key to this strategy is effective implementation that does not negatively impact 
customer service. The number three strategy is digitally empowered associates. The pandemic was not kind to employ staffing at store level with a customer facing store level associate shortages, costing retailers an amazing $172 billion annually. Associates are the bridge between retailers and shoppers and play a pivotal role in ensuring customer expectations are met. In my view, the, the arrival of the smartphone in the hands of consumers requires more aggressive focus on putting digital tools in the hands of associates and is becoming uh, a paramount requirement for the success of the retail brands. The number four strategy is enterprise inventory visibility. In 2022, the problem of inventory distortion, which is a combination of out of stocks and overstocks, has grown to over $1.9 trillion. I'll repeat that, $1.9 trillion worldwide, which is an increase of 13% uh, since 2020, and that was the year, remember, we were all panic buying. The first reason by far why consumers leave stores is empty shelves. While grocery improved uh, by 24% in the last two years, the IHL group saw a dramatic increase in empty shelves for clothing, and especially soft goods and department stores, as retailers tightened inventory. Harmonized retailing only works effectively when a retailer has very high, accurate inventory visibility. Digitally empowered associates can provide instant consumer assistance in getting the product they want to buy that is out of stocks. With high inventory visibility, products can be sold across the enterprise at a greater profit, even to the last unit. And the fifth a strategy that's going to be important in 23 is real-time analytics and engagement. I cite some in research data. Some of it is that 73% of business leaders said they are they delivering a relevant and reliable customer service experience is uh, critical to their company and overall business performance. Data-driven organizations are 23 more per times more likely to acquire customers six times as likely to retain customers, and 19 times as likely to be profitable as a result. The top needs for improving customer experience are personalization, uh, uh, are at a real-time pace, so in other words, personalizing experiences real-time, getting more customer data, and greater analysis of uh, that customer data. Consumers, you got to remember, already have real-time information available with their smartphones when they enter your stores. They can and will increasingly respond real-time to unfulfilling shopping journey with negative consequences to retailers that cannot respond quickly to their preferences. So based on those five strategies, what are the top three technologies that I see in 2023 as being most important? Number one, edge computing. Retailers with edge computing uh, saw 7% higher sales growth in 22 than those who didn't have it. And the numbers for profits are even stronger with 88% higher profit growth with edge computing was installed. Number two technology, Internet of Things at the store center. The Internet of Things or connected devices and more sensors will dramatically continue to increase in retail 
especially at the store center core, where all products will eventually carry sensors. And in the article, I go into detail on the increased adoption of RFID as an example of this. And the number three technology that, that I think is critical in 23 is computer vision. In 2021, we crossed a billion CCTV cameras installed around the world. Many of those cameras now carry data eyes. Uh, computer vision is already proving in, in applications, for example, such as self-checkout, where they can detect anomalies real time and react to them, that it can be very effective in allowing some of the other trends that I've talked about, such as frictionless commerce. And I would expect many more computer vision applications to be coming to a harmonized retail channel near you. Now, what does this mean in terms of a more smarter, more profitable uh, retail store of the future? The smart store of the future will include many more centers generating data mostly at the edge. The data will go through intelligent filters with the primary goal of defining immersive experiences that increase uh, loyalty. At the core of retail was and always will be the consumer. The challenge for retailers today is that the consumer, because of the smartphone, are much more educated in, in, sh in shaping their own preferred uh, shopping journey. A truly successful retail model will focus on strategies that create brand ambassadors of both store associates and consumers. Technology in the hands of store associates needs to be elevated to deliver a magical digital commercial conversation with the consumers. The alternative is that the consumer using the smartphone can instantly buy from a competitor while they are standing in your own stores. So in closing, the five strategies are harmonized channels, frictionless commerce, digitally empowered associates, enterprise inventory visibility, and real-time analytics. Uh, and these are the critical strategies for 23. A great starting point uh, to actually uh, leveraging these strategies and making executing them are leveraging uh, edge computing, the Internet of Things, uh, including RFID and computer vision, and they will deliver a smarter, more profitable store of the future. So that's my summary for this week for the new year. I'm looking forward to a prosperous new year for all of us and a healthy new year. Happy New Year to all of you uh, and see many of you at, at the NRF. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Reed, and Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, this is the first, uh, it should be the first episode after the New Year. It's, uh, we're taping on January 3rd, so Happy New Year to everybody. Um, just a, a couple different things in, in the news, and I know I spoke about this uh, last um, in the last episode. We continue to see uh, articles throughout major news publications. Uh, actually, the Wall Street Journal reported that the one article that they had put out, um, shoplifting fuels a $94 billion uh, problem in America's stores, had tremendous uh, response. That was from January 23rd. So I think we'll continue to see, you know, um, the influx of this information being shared. It'll help, obviously, everybody on this call spread the word and um, get get out and about. Uh, update on supply chain. Uh, so also from the Wall Street Journal, just uh, similar in the same week, uh, supply chain is uh, 
upended by COVID are back to normal. So improved shipping rates, delivery capacity, um, and inventory in retail, we're seeing a, 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 a positive sign for supply chain. In, in some cases, uh, you're seeing in certain markets, in certain industries, supply chain uh, fully corrected, and others you're not. And then the question is where rates have not fallen back to pre-pandemic levels, will they ever? And uh, I think that's a, a big, big question for everybody here. We, we know it's uh, with inflation and, and going on. I think there's more to come with that. But it is definitely good news that uh, items can get from point A to point B. Uh, I would caution us all to keep close eyes on what is occurring overseas, both in China with COVID and the resurgence of COVID, as well as what's occurring in Central and Eastern Europe from a standpoint of if you have the war in Ukraine and then COVID in China, what will that, what, uh, what if any impact will that have? Uh, on the chip market, we see a pretty dramatic increase uh, in availability for chips. Consumer electronics are available. Um, there are still some components, uh, primarily something called a Raspberry Pi, which is actually a computer that um, is in most automobiles, as well as a lot of edge devices and still relatively difficult to get a hold of, but nowhere near what it was before. Uh, so I, I see that the signs uh, are improving. Uh, some of that has to do with inflation and the spending changing, but I think uh, we're relatively back to pre-pandemic uh, levels which for supply chain, which is phenomenal. Uh, switching gears a little bit, TikTok ban. It continues to come up. This debate actually moves from the mainstream to um, a very small uh, forum in comparison to the federal government. So uh, in South Dakota, the, there is a Rapid City, South Dakota Council. It's actually meeting today during this taping on whether they should uh, ban the device, uh, TikTok from their devices. Uh, the federal government has already done that, uh, stating the risk related to China and the data it collects. But this is a really interesting turn. Uh, normally, it wouldn't be so interesting, but the, the simple fact here is that when you have local government um, getting involved, uh, it shows kind of the, the diversity of concern here. There is some political elements here where you have two folks that are essentially going to run for mayor at odds of whether TikTok should be banned or not, where there was some talk about that having impact on the decision being made. I think it's, it's certainly too soon to say that that's definitely the case, but something certainly we should be aware of and mindful of when we're thinking through this. I do think that you will continue to hear this potential band uh, coming up. The, the algorithm is very advanced. It collects a ton of information, um, much like any other social media network. You know, They have similar terms and conditions. The difference here is that the Chinese government overreach is what concerns uh, folks a lot. And um, I would say that the algorithm is, my opinion, one of the most advanced out there, and, and that's based on not only my opinion, but information gathered. It is from a video platform only second to YouTube. Um, uh, so when you think of that, it, it has a huge, huge user base. And some of the concerns around the Chinese government are not just at that collection point, but that they can point certain people to certain videos and potentially change the way someone um, views or thinks about something. So more to come on that. I think we'll continue to hear that. In ransomware news, um, the hospital for sick children um, was affected by ransomware. Uh, the the attackers actually did a formal apology. The 
the attack occurred on December 18th. The hospital suffered a ransomware attack that uh, impacted the internal systems and corporate systems. Uh, and uh, actually, on December 29th, uh, they announced that 50% of their systems had been restored. Lockbit gang is the, the gang responsible for this, and they actually um, went ahead and two days after the attack uh, responded and with an apology. Uh, and there's a, there's a screenshot that's available on the internet, uh, and it basically said uh, that they formally apologized for the attack on six kids uh, and gave back it gave a decryptor for free. Um, to the to the uh, actors, so this is an interesting one, right? You have bad actors who are fi- out for financial gain. Uh, there's a chance here, and I'm speculatively that this was a widespread kind of net attack, and um, Lockbit ransomware went went after uh, you know and it attacked this hospital in inadvertently basically you cast a wide net someone clicks on something something downloads something but they did go ahead and, and give the free decryptor that still did take them down um the hospital for some time but this kind of shows that you know in some cases um you do have you know uh, the bad actors who don't who are out for financial gain that still do want to do the right thing at the end for certain things so we always talk about this um, jokingly when we're talking about criminal gangs and enterprises that there is a code of ethics that they they follow and so within reason a lot of times it does have to do with children and this is a good example of the code of ethics with children there was a lot of chatter about how they would never intentionally attack a hospital uh, for financial gain that involved children. Um, so, it, it, interestingly enough, this this did get um, a lot of a lot of press over the weekend. With ransomware in general, uh, we're going to hear a lot now that the the new years of what the overall impact was. Um, there was a report that was released that said over 200 government um, education and health corps organizations in 2022 were affected. Um, my guess is that's grossly misunderstood because of the fact that you don't get uh, all of that data in the same place. Uh, and they made a point to say in this in this um, report that there's no clear picture on ransomware attacks. This is based on the um, the, the data that was available. Um, U.S. Uh, struck 105 countries. Yeah, so when you, you when you look at this, it's saying U.S. The U.S. is is predominantly the largest attacked. Um, there it affected nearly almost every country. 44 universities, 45 school districts, 24 healthcare providers. Um, again, this is a great um, a great report when it says that it affected 105 um, counties. Uh, the report is kind of uh, very interesting, but cites many times that this data is relatively uh, limited in the sense that they only have a small pool. So as we continue to talk about ransomware, it continues to be a, a, a challenge that will, you know, arguably be with us for a long time. Uh, and then over the weekend, there was, a, and, and it's still occurring in some cases, there was a, an outage 
or I shouldn't say an outage, a challenge with air traffic control systems in Florida. There was a, a ton of news around Southwest flights and the challenges they faced after the storm with legacy systems. This was related to specific to Florida air traffic. So there was a, thousands of flights canceled over the weekend. We continue to see that. Uh, as a challenge. One of the things that I often talk about is in specific to cyber risk is the risk of outdated systems and uh, Southwest admittedly says they have a lot of outdated systems. This is a big challenge throughout uh, the aerospace uh, industry and I shouldn't say aerospace, I should say commercial airlines. Generally you have a lot of legacy systems out there um, and while they don't normally cause challenges, sometimes they, they can. Uh, and in general, when we talk about legacy systems, it continues to be a challenge for cybersecurity overall. I think there is a bit of a misconception that this has to do with cost of replacement, and a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it is pure resource and time, and you know the, the resources needed and the time and effort that goes into replacing a legacy system are exponentially higher than I think a lot of times people think about. So when you're trying to replace an older legacy-based system, this is at times could take months, uh, if not years, to replace, and then you have to have the right developers and the right resources available. So it's not always about cost. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would argue that it's more times about resources than cost when it comes to legacy upgrades. And with that, I will turn it back over to Tony and Reed. All right. Well, thanks so much, Tony, for all that great information. And Tom, uh, you as well. Uh, I want to thank uh, Diego for his hard work, for Wilson as well. I want to thank you all. Stay safe. Stay in touch. Always at lpresearch.org, um, operations at lpresearch.org. So stay safe. Stay in touch. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council. 